Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. My name is Tyler. So glad that you are here with us, especially if you're new or joining us online. Uh, as I begin, I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask that you move your spirit among us now so that by your spirit we might meet your son, Jesus, in whose name we ask it. Amen. As we saw in our preaching series last fall about the start of Jesus' ministry, about the age of 30, he quickly transformed from an anonymous nobody to a religious celebrity. He traveled around the countryside preaching about the kingdom of God being near and then backing up his preaching with supernatural power over illness <clears throat> and evil spirits. But as Ben discussed last week, at the stage of his ministry that we're looking at in this Lenten preaching series, Jesus has now set his face to go to Jerusalem. Before he was wandering about, now he's got a destination, the capital city, the spiritual and political center of the nation. So this is the context for what Jesus does in the scripture lesson that Ronnie just read for us, where he sends the 70 of his disciples, his students, ahead of him into the towns he's going to go through on the way to Jerusalem. Remember, he's built a following out in the countryside. He's being hailed as the son of David, the legend, descendant of the legendary king, and now he's on his way to the capital city. And he's sending his followers ahead of him to proclaim a new kingdom is near. So to anybody looking, this looks like nothing less than Jesus is a conquering king moving to take over the capital. And the 70 disciples are his ambassadors sent ahead to let the citizenry, the townspeople know about the pending new management and to ask them when it all goes down in Jerusalem, which side are you going to be on? Now his followers were right that Jesus was coming as a conqueror on a mission, but they were wrong about the enemy. It wasn't the Roman emperor or his governor, Pontius Pilate, or the puppet kings that ruled the Jews. The enemy that Jesus was moving against was nothing less than the spiritual force of evil that shadowed all of human life, the sin that poisoned and corrupted everything we do. That's the enemy that Jesus came to conquer. And the kingdom that he invites us into is one where that power of evil is broken so that we can live our lives in freedom. So we're going to look at today's scripture lesson to see what it tells us about Jesus' mission and our place in it. And if you're spiritually searching or you're new, you don't call yourself a Christian, realize this may be like 10 steps ahead, but just invite you to consider the life uh, that Jesus invites his followers into and see if it's something that you feel drawn to. I'd encourage you to follow along in your pew Bibles or if you have a Bible app on your phone, we're looking at Luke chapter 10. What does it teach us about Jesus' mission? We're just going to go straight through that passage that we just heard. So the first thing we see is that the scope of the mission is the whole world. It be, the lesson begins with Jesus picking 70 of his followers. Why 70? Well, in the Bible, the number 70 is traditionally associated with the Gentiles, 
the non-Jewish nations of the world. Tradition had it that there were 70 nations. Of course, there's more than 70 nations, but the point is that it's a symbol of the whole world, of all the nations. Early in Luke's gospel, we'll have seen Jesus send out the 12 apostles, his inner circle, on a very similar kind of mission. This was symbolic of him reaching first to the 12 tribes of Israel. But now when Jesus sends out the 70, he's symbolically signaling that the scope of his mission has expanded. It's not just to the Jewish people, it's to the whole world, all the people. It's a foreshadowing of the mission that's going to be given to his followers after the resurrection when he says, you will receive power from the Holy, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's what Jesus means when he says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a whole world to be brought into the kingdom of God, but it's going to take a lot of people to reach them all, and it's starting here. Second, the mission is urgent. I send you out like lambs in the midst of wolves, he says. It's not super reassuring, is it? They're going out into hostile territory. There's no assumption of safety here. And he sends them out with urgency. Carry no purse, bag, sandals, greet nobody on the road. It's like Ben said last week. Even the best pair of hiking boots is dead weight if you're carrying them instead of wearing them. Jesus isn't sending out his followers barefoot. They're just not supposed to carry anything extra that's going to weigh them down like a spare pair of shoes. They're trusting that God will provide what they need for the trip. And when he says don't greet anybody on the road, he's not saying don't be friendly. But in that culture, greetings were elaborate, time-consuming rituals. And he's saying that's not what you're about. You're not going on a stroll. You've got a job to do. Third, the mission is peaceful and humble. When they arrive in a town, this is how they roll up. They approach a house and they offer the blessing of peace. And if someone there shares that peace, the peace will rest on that person But if not, it will return to you, Jesus says. And this is a little strange to us because if you drove, you know, an hour outside of the city and picked a town and walked into the first house you saw, ran them through an open front door yelling, peace to this house, you're not expecting a good reception probably. But this is a different time and a different place with different expectations around hospitality and travelers. And basically Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as peace ambassadors. Peace is what you've got to give. Peace with God and with each other. If you get welcomed into a house, Jesus says, that's your base of operations for that place. It's the place God's given you, so stay put. Don't be too fussy about what they put in front of you, about the religious purity of the meal in front of you. Your mission is more important than that. It's okay for you to receive your room and board because you're doing important work, but don't go from house to house looking for better food or a softer bed because the priority is the mission. It's not your luxury. And then finally, the purpose of the mission is to declare the coming kingdom of God to every town and place on the way to Jerusalem. Whether the people accept that kingdom is a totally separate question. That's not up to you, Jesus says. The job he gives to the 70 is to show up offering peace and to announce the kingdom. And if you're welcomed, he says, you cure the sick. It's a demonstration of the kingdom's arrival. Jesus has deputized them to use that same Holy Spirit power that he uses to heal. But if you're not welcomed, he says, go out into the main intersection and wipe the dust off the bottom of your shoes and say the kingdom of God has come near. 
Because there's no room for half measures with the kingdom. And if a people reject it, you don't want to take a trace of them with you. So the 70 go out on their mission. We don't know how long they're gone, how many towns they visit. Maybe each pair visits multiple places. But eventually they came back, verse 17 says, returning with joy. They've had success, and they report, Lord, in your name, even demons submit to us. It's interesting, that actually wasn't part of their mandate, if you read closely. He just told them to heal the sick. But evidently, when they encountered evil spirits, they fled at the name of Jesus, recognizing a higher power. And Jesus' response tells us what the whole mission has been about. He replies, I was watching Satan fall, like, fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. And some people might read this as saying Satan fell like a sudden bolt. But the way Jesus says it, I was watching Satan fall like lightning, makes me wonder if he was seeing Satan fall from heaven over and over and over again, like a lightning storm in the desert. And maybe what Jesus means is that while his followers were miles away, out of sight, proclaiming the kingdom and casting out demons, he was spiritually perceiving what was really going on. So they're like soldiers locked in hand-to-hand combat at the front line of the battle, and he's like the general looking over the whole battlefield. Scripture says that the true nature of our struggle is spiritual. Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And it seems like what the 70 were doing on earth in Jesus' name was having an effect in heaven. It is an uncomfortably weird teaching of Christianity that what happens in this world affects the spiritual realm and vice versa. There are spiritual stakes to how we live our mortal, material lives. And every time the kingdom of God was welcomed and evil spirits fled, Satan was cast down over and over and over like a lightning storm. And if you give praise to God in this room today, lightning falls again. But here's the kicker. The 70 returned with joy and Jesus says, that's great. But the authority I've given you over evil spirits isn't why you should be rejoicing. No, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Think about that in the context that we've been exploring this passage. The 70 are like soldiers sent out into disputed territory. It's a dangerous mission. They met with success. But what does every soldier want most at the end of the day? To come home safe and sound. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't rejoice at your success on the battlefield. Rejoice at what that means. That your names are written in heaven. That you are registered as citizens there. Don't rejoice at the fights you win in the war, the struggles that go your way. Rejoice in the fact that you are promised a heavenly home. That after the war of this life is over, you will find peace at the last. Seventy that Jesus sent out knew he was a conquering king, but they didn't know the enemy he was conquering, but we do. And the work that the 70 did by the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the kingdom, 
healing and delivering from spiritual oppression is still the work of the church today. As scripture says, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation so we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. What an amazing thing. We are sent. That's what apostle means, sent ones. The apostles were people that Jesus sent out on his behalf and the ministry of the church remains fundamentally apostolic. Jesus sends his church And that's all of us if you call yourself a Christian. We're all called to support the apostolic, the sent ministry of the church. The 70 were sent to offer peace and see who would accept it in the towns and villages on the way to Jerusalem. And in a way, that's precisely what the church is on earth. It's a little community of people on the way to the heavenly Jerusalem who have accepted the peace that God offers and who offer it to others with gratitude. Because the kingdom of God is still near for those who will receive it. And it's still a live question. Whose side are you on? Because if you read the newspaper headlines, it sure still seems like the devil's still in charge. But we declare in faith that the cross of Christ has destroyed his power and defeated evil forever. And that another kingdom is near. That's why we're doing the church plant at St. George, reopening a parish in the heart of the heart of Toronto so that we can be an outpost, an embassy of God's grace in that community. And that's why we're hoping that St. George will be the first of many church plants and revitalizations coming out of St. Paul's and of other churches, because we've been given so much that we have so much to give. We know that God's mission isn't over yet, and each of us has a role to play in supporting it through our own particular gifts and resources. So if you call St. Paul's home, what role will you play in the mission of this place being sent? Will it be to encourage a culture of sending in this place and to celebrate when we go into a new place? Will it, to be, will it be to be one of those who goes, maybe one time, maybe many times? Will it be to be here and to consistently pray that God's grace will overflow from this place into other places that other people might be blessed? Will it be to support with your financial givings, any combination of these? But if we're going to do this, if we want to see new churches being planted and revived across our city and across Canada, if we do not accept as a foregone conclusion that the church in Canada is going to die a slow and dismal death, we're going to need leaders to send out. A lot of leaders. A lot more than we've currently got. Because churches need pastors to lead and to serve and to care for God's people. And I am pretty well convinced that some of them are sitting in this room right now. So I want to close today by asking a question that probably won't apply to most people here, but if it lands for the people it's intended for, it'll be worth it. Is it possible that God is calling you to be a priest? I know. You're a banker, you're going to be an engineer. 
You have YouTube glory in your future. Jesus didn't build his church on people who are already religious professionals or who planned on that. He took people out of all walks of life and trained them and sent them to carry out his ministry on his behalf. Is that you? Could you be called to serve the church as a priest, a pastor? What would it mean for you to consider that possibility? And you might be thinking, no, not me. And you might be right. And if that's true, that's a really important thing to know. But you also might be gloriously wrong. And if my question sticks with you in the hours and days ahead, if you can't shake it, maybe that's God talking to you, calling you to labor in a way that you weren't originally planning on. What would it look like for you to explore that? And though this call can be answered at any age, if you are a young person in your 20s, early 30s, you'd like to explore this possibility, I would urge you to apply for the ministry apprenticeship program here at St. Paul's. If accepted, you'll spend a year doing local church ministry, graduate level theological study, immersed in spiritual formation, and experiencing firsthand what it's like to be part of a church planting movement. MAPS fully funded through the generosity of this community so people from all economic backgrounds can apply. We'll pay your room and board and monthly stipend. And we will do this and we will invest in you because we believe that raising up apostolic leaders is absolutely critical to the church's mission today. The next MAP term starts September 1. It's a selective application process that's open now. You can contact me if you have any questions. I'd love to talk to you. And if you know a young person who you think would thrive in ministry, even if they don't know it yet, would you please go to our YouTube channel and send them this message as a personal invitation to apply for MAP? Because that will mean so much coming from someone who knows them and believes in the calling that God might have on their life. It's simple as... New churches need priests and pastors, not because we are better Christians or more spiritual, God help us. It's not a higher calling than any other. It's just a specific job that needs to get done, and we need more people to do it. So whether that might be your calling or it's definitely not, as a church, can we all be praying that God will raise up laborers for his harvest? Let's pray. God, we know that the harvest is still plentiful. So we ask that you raise up laborers for the harvest in this place, that we might be found faithful in our time. We thank you that you have won the battle against evil. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.